I'm Jeff Cook. And I'm TJ Wilson. And this is Around the Circle. I'm walking slowly. It's a map of the human personality. It's a tool for navigating relationships. It creates language for what motivates us and helps us look at the way we look at everything else. Most importantly, the Enneagram's a mirror because sometimes you need help seeing yourself. My name's Jeff Cook. I'm a philosopher in Greeley, Colorado, and with me is TJ Wilson, businessman, lover of theology, and Enneagram ninja. Hello. Today we have a guest. Hooray. Perhaps our favorite guest. Yeah, that's... Definitely true. You, Not perhaps. You're in the running. You're gonna fight for that one, Sean. <laughs> who, do, who do I have to fight? Because uh, I know you've had some really great guests. Michael Shahan, probably. Michael Shahan. Yeah. Okay. I, if it were Suzanne, I mean, I think I could take her. <laughs> <laughs> Might have to arm wrestle my wife. There's, there's, there are, there's a few. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, Sean Palmer has written a book. Uh, it's called Speaking by the Numbers, and we're going to talk shop about it and some of the depthier concepts, and uh, super excited for this conversation. Um, Sean's book is for professional speakers. Um, we're going to take a lot of the concepts and talk through them in the context of relationships. First of all, Sean's book is fantastic. Second, the intro is worth the price of the book, and that's actually where I wanted to zero in is uh, we're going to just hit a, a bunch of the highlights in the intro. And for those of you who get into this, that book's out there and it's amazing. So um, so we're going to talk about relationships and communicating with people that we care about. And uh, that's what I got. You got anything before we get rolling, TJ? Uh, I, I, wanna, I do want to say like, this book is it's it's written for speakers and and public communicators, but um, one of the things that really stands out f- to me through this book is that it it's it's a really good example of how the enneagram can be applied to your life in in ways that like help you expand your vision of people around you, and I think that that is can be a universal approach. This is going to be a great example. Like it's for speakers and communicators, but it's it's a great example of of how to like like I'm a barista and I need to understand that the people who come into my store see things differently than I do and and I think that this works in so many different areas and I I just I'm I'm really glad that this exists. So, good work, Sean. Thank you. Thank you very much. I want to thank both of you um, for reading copies while I was in the process of writing, offering endorsements, um, keeping me on track with my Star Wars references. (laughs) Important work. (laughs) And so uh, one of those things that couldn't have been couldn't have been done without uh, you two guys who are two of the most knowledgeable Enneagram theorists, which is what I'm calling myself now, because mm, I don't like the word expert. I'm calling myself an Enneagram theorist, like um, Enneagram theorist that I know. So appreciate that very much. Love it. We need a, but just as a side note, there needs to be a book about Enneagram theory, about all the schools and who's landing where, what are the big, where the, maybe some, maybe we should, could, 
we could do a, a top ten podcast on that. Here are the here are some of the backroom fights between people. Fights isn't the right word. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say discussions. Uh, that would be called tug the, of wars. The who who's suing who right now? Is my <laughs> <laughs> it's the I said this first podcast, or you get this wrong. That book does not interest me at all. It sounds like a book about fights. <laughs> there is something the metaphor that hit me going going through the book is when communicating with an audience or with another person it can be incredibly valuable to know what language they speak yeah if you don't know what language they speak it may be very difficult to actually communicate and obviously we can't type the person in front of us uh we have to hear that from them as a public speaker if you have a room of more than 50 people you can probably assume that all nine types are represented, so that can be a little bit easier. But one of the true joys, and TJ already hinted at this, of knowing someone else's type, if you have some experience in the Enneagram, is that you can speak a language they will understand and at least form yourself, condition yourself, train yourself to be able to meet them in that space. In fact, as, as I'm talking about this, I'm like, I wonder how this actually works. I'm excited for this conversation, so... Sean, in the intro, you wrote, I encourage you to do more than dip your toe in the water of the Enneagram because the Enneagram can become something like a party game. Many people are satisfied with the repeating of superficial and shallow notions about the Enneagram. However, the goal of it is to create self-awareness and then allow that awareness to move us into growth, relational connection, and a wellness for individuals, organizations, and businesses. You ask at one point, what if the reason your communication is failing is because you were talking only to yourself. That's the line that hit me in terms of relationships because I know what it's like for people I care about to be talking only to themselves when they're talking to me. Right. And I long for them to break free of that because um, I really want connection with them. And sometimes it's very difficult. So it seems to me knowing yourself and your, in, and your Enneagram type is obviously a fantastic first step in being able to communicate to others. So what what goes through your mind when considering your own type as you're communicating? Yeah, so one of the stories I tell in the book, and actually the story that, that birthed the book was I was preaching, and this sermon is actually, uh, this, this talk's actually in the book. And I was talking about choices. And so the beginning of this message that I was giving was like your life is not totally but like largely I'm a reflection of choices that you made, right? Like you chose to marry her or him. You chose to go to that school. You chose to buy that car. You chose to buy that house. You chose to eat the Doritos instead of go to the gym. Like, like those are all choices that you make that we make all the time. And so then I can't, you know, the, the message kind of goes on from there and someone in our community and my church community is actually pretty well Enneagram informed, especially folks who are really core in our community. And she's an eight on the Enneagram and we have a great relationship. She came up to me. She's always very forthright. And she says, that was the most Enneagram three sermon I have ever heard. <laughs> and I thought, wow, I still believe everything that I said, but that way of thinking through the world that wake up, you know, I wake up at 5 a.m., like I have a set plan for the day. I'm a person who spends a week at the end of the year and sets my goals for the next year and reflects back on the last year, what worked and what doesn't work. Um, I have all sorts of productivity things. 
Like I know what I'm going to do. You and I could set a um, appointment from a year from now in Colorado and you would not have to mention it to me again. And I would show up. Right. And I would say, well, we set this a year ago or five years ago. Like we both agreed to be here. And I would say, oh, sorry, I got to put on pants. I do not remember that at all. <laughs> <laughs> and and we would want you to have on pants. Yes, <laughs> that's correct. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I thought, oh, my goodness, I speak to thousands of people every year, like thousands. Mm-hmm. And what if this whole time I have been missing a significant number of those people Mm. and much of what I'm saying, because I have assumed that the rest of the world sees, understands, reflects on the world the same way that I do. And this was after, I mean, this, I stumbled upon this after knowing the Enneagram for what, like nearly 10 years now. Right. Right, right. (laughs) Um, And that started me thinking, Oh, maybe this is why some places in my career, like uh, whether it's a board meeting or an argument with someone, a conversation with someone that we're just missing one another. Yeah. Um, th- I'll tell you another story. This happened before my wife and I knew the Enneagram. We'd been married like maybe a year or two. So this was, you know, 19, 19, 1999, 2000, somewhere like that. And um, like I was still kind of like heated about this conversation and she was trying to be conciliatory and she actually used this language. She said, I'm trying to move toward you. Mm. Now, what you guys know and your listeners might not know is my wife is a one on the Enneagram and ones, twos and sixes. Like that is their, their stance. Like they, that reactive earning compliant dependent stance like they move toward people i'm a three i'm in an aggressive stance like i move against people or regardless of people and so like oh like that had showed up very early in our marriage but we didn't have language to put around it so to your point tj about just the relational connectedness like you don't have to be a public speaker to appreciate the wisdom of the enneagram and how it relates in these ways it's like, oh, that was already showing up in relationships, mm-hmm. that the, the way we receive and process information mm-hmm. through through our intelligence centers, which is what the heart of the book is. You got thoughts on that, Teach, and just knowing ourselves in communication? Yeah, it's like that that first story about the, like, I, I love this this little bit about that that speech that, like, your life is a series of choices. Everything that's happened to you, like, like there's the, your own choice involved, and and like I I think that you have a, a sort of manuscript of of that that topic in there in the book, and mm-hmm. and what I was thinking while reading it was like this is a true thing. I I fully I I'm a nine. I fully acknowledge that what you're saying is true, but it doesn't mean anything to me. It's like like oh. like mm-hmm. that's that's one of the things that that I think really stands out to me in, in this subject, in this, in this whole book is that like, like you can be communicating things that are really good and valuable and true, but if you don't communicate them in a way that, that your audience can actually hear, then it doesn't matter. It's like, yes, my life is a series of choices. And and you even make a comment about how the nines are thinking, do my choices actually have consequences like that? And they probably don't. It's like that's how I would process something like that. It's like, y- yes, my life is a series of my own choices, but what you're saying to me doesn't—it doesn't 
make me feel anything. It doesn't, I don't have a reaction to it. So yeah. I, and so like, you know, the, the book is built around Enneagram triads and stances, the mm-hmm. fundamental idea that we all have, the, we have these three centers of intelligence, thinking, feeling, and doing. And every Enneagram number is dominant in one and repressed in another one of those intelligence centers, except three sixes and nines who are dominant and repressed in the same center. And so the things that I say about fours, fives and nines is like exactly what you're getting at TJ. Like, Oh, like I could say that about choices, but if I don't attach a deep and profound purpose, Mm -hmm. you know, then fours, fives and nines aren't going to hear that. Right. Like, and it, and it can't be do it just to do it. It's got to have, a purpose that they personally feel involved and invested in like at a, at a much more at a deeper level than someone like me who's like, Oh, that's a good idea. And would help accomplish one, two or three, like accomplishment is less of a big deal. And purpose is much more of a big deal. Yeah. Yeah. You're um, you in, in the chapter on the withdrawn stance, you, you have a story about the, um, Navy's ex Navy SEAL who did a commencement speech and mm-hmm. talked about making the bed, like mm-hmm. how important it is to make the bed first thing in the morning. And that's that's a lesson he learned from being in the Navy. And and that's it's like I I did not my entire life I have not been a bed maker <laughs> because I don't care about making my bed. That's a whole extra step of something that I does not matter to me. There's nothing gained from me making my bed in the morning, right. but it matters to my wife. And that's something mm. I care about. Right. So right. I'm still, you know, 50% success rate there, but, <laughs> but 50%. But is, on your own, you'd be at zero. Oh yeah, right? absolutely. Like, I would yeah. never make my bed if I was on my own. And so, and that's one of those places where it's always, as with the Enneagram, always you want to be careful to distinguish between the what's and the why's, right? The motivations and behaviors. Because I ran that by a good friend of mine who's also a nine. Mm-hmm. And I asked her, I said, do you make your bed every day? And she said, yes. And I said, you're the first nine I've ever <laughs> met that like that enthusiastically said yes mm. to whether you make your bed every day. And she goes, but do you know why? She says, because it gives me peace. Mm-hmm. Yeah, It brings harmony to yeah. my house. And so like, let's like, I want the bed made because I don't like clutter and it seems like something that sloppy people do in my three brain, you know, <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but it, for her, like, oh, it, it serves a purpose that is soothing to her mentally and emotionally that it doesn't for you. Right. So um, I, I find all those little intricacies fascinating, but neither one of you would do it if I, if, you know, General McRaven said, make your bed like <laughs> right, they yeah. don't no one okay. no one cares i don't that, care that, about he thinks that means you know? nothing to me yeah. <laughs> i see why that's valuable for you and it's not valuable for me so yeah. building on that there's knowing yourself and why you do what you do and how you take in the world how you get what you want the movement to knowing the person in front of you i'm sure there's wisdom to be plumbed here uh, but just on the face of it, if the person in front of you does know the Enneagram, you write this, uh, Sean, sometimes our hearers don't connect with what we're saying because it's based on how we see the world rather than how they see the world. And we mistakenly think we see the world as it is, as has been quoted by many. We don't see the world as it is. We see it as 
we are. The ability to see other people, to see how they receive the world, mm-hmm. core to great communication, yeah. especially with the people that you love. Yeah. 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 The um, So central to that um, is that when you sit down, whether it is a classroom teacher, um, professor like you, Jeff, it's a, a speaker at a conference. If you're in a boardroom, we start that process typically with the idea of this is a corpus of information that I want to transfer to other people mm-hmm. so that they will then behave in the world as I desire them to. Mm-hmm. And so we do ourselves a disservice when we gloss over the fact that a lot of our communication is fundamentally manipulative. And I don't mean manipulative in a negative sense, but we are actually trying to get people to do certain things, right? right? Like sign up for my Patreon, right? Like we, like that is a, that is a mode of communication to get people to do certain things. And so we bring in a whole bunch of motivational factors with all of that. And when I was in college, I worked for a telemarketer. And so if you ever work for a telemarketer, they would say back when I was working in telemarketing is before the internet, right? Um, Or the internet was very new. And they would say, people do telemarketing all the time. When you pick up the phone and you order a pizza, that's telemarketing. And then what they were trying to do is like lower the bar for us who knew that people hated telemarketing. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And so, but like that was a manipulative communication, but they then taught you all of the, um, all of the motivators of people. And so I learned those motivators really well. Like this is how people are motivated because I was a fundraising company. Um, And what they were trying to do is the same thing that I'm trying to do is like get out of your own head and get out of information transfer of what you think is important and try to understand what they think is important and how they move through the world because it's gonna be different than how you move through the world. And if you assume, if a communicator at whatever medium, um, even if it's a parent to child, if you assume that everyone else sees the world as you do, that will eventually lead to bad manipulation, oftentimes to abuse, distance in relationships, tons and tons of negative outcomes for, let's say, a parent who is a two on the Enneagram, who is raising a child who's a five, right, and just doesn't understand Um, why they withdraw the way they withdraw and mom or dad is trying to chase them, (laughs) chase them down constantly. And one of them feels abandoned and the other one feels attacked. Right. Mm -hmm. And so when we start to understand how deep this goes, it's an incredible tool for being in relationship, for connecting, for treating people with dignity and respect, like as a, um, like as a pastor, like my fundamental move, I want it to be to love other people and understanding there, there are ways in which people feel loved and don't feel loved. And that's rooted in how they receive the world through their thinking, feeling, and doing. Mm-hmm. Core to a lot of the things that we've said over the past year and a half have been the real foundation of what Sean's already brought up, the intelligence center and how we receive the world through our head, heart, or gut, and our stance, how we get what we want through uh, being aggressive, withdrawn, or earning. And in concert with those two are what Sean talked about already, the repressed side of that, being feeling repressed or action repressed or thinking repressed. 
And also how we engage time. We're either resistant to the present or we're thinking about the future or we're filtering the world through the past. A lot of that's going to come up, I believe, in, as, we, as we're talking through a lot of these types, mm-hmm. how we connect and communicate with them. And um, one of the best lines I thought in the book was just thinking about speaking as a relational act. Even when I'm one-on-one with a person, I'm not sure that that's what's on my mind. <laughs> I actually think, and, and maybe it's my vocation, some, uh, oftentimes speaking is, as you said, it's, it is, it's manipulation in the negative sense. I, I hear that mm-hmm. you know, you're talking about it in the positive sense, but oftentimes with my kids, um, sometimes with my spouse, um, oftentimes with you know, fellow staff members or employees or even people that I work for, um, I'm trying to get them to do something or, yeah. or see me or, and I, I step outside of the relational context that communication is into something else. Um, you got thoughts on that? Well, I was going to say maybe the word for the positive manipulation is uh, persuasion. Sure. Yeah. Or understanding. Like that's what we're going for in that, right? Yeah. But at the end of the day, it's uh, we're either trying to figure out together what to do mm-hmm. or I have a sense of what we ought to do. And so we're, we're talking through that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Fundamentally, and here's how, here's a story that actually didn't make the book. Because I because I speak a lot, I went eight years preaching somewhere every Sunday. Like maybe not my local church, but like that's a lot of Sundays of yeah. preaching somewhere. And just by, I think I got in early from a trip and I didn't have responsibilities one Sunday morning and a lot was going on with our two girls. We decided, hey, let's just sleep in, right, in the morning. And so we did, and Rochelle and I got up, we had coffee, had a slow morning, read some outside. The girls roused like teenagers do about 10, 1030 in the morning and came downstairs. They started making their own breakfast, which was pancakes and all that. And like we sat around the table and talked and they were telling me what's going. We didn't have to ask questions about what was going on at school or this. Like they just kind of like opened up, like spilled all of this. And it was Sunday morning. And I thought, oh, um, there was such deep relational connection in that moment with the family that morning that if I could have this every Sunday morning, I would never go to worship. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Right. So if that's a crucial part of what I was doing vocationally, and I do think it is being part of a community like that, it at least needs to try to be that relationally connecting or to enhance that relational connection. Mm. And that led me down the track of thinking of communication all as relational connecting, which is really difficult for me as a three, being feeling repressed, like to try just opening myself up to that instead of opening myself up to, as a three with a four wing, I wanna do something that's really flashy and poetic and you know beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, and say, what if this was really about people connecting with one another? And that would help, I think, a lot of the ills in communication where folks do feel negatively manipulated, feel talked down to, feel like they didn't get it. The the communicator was either too emotional or not emotional enough, just gave a bunch of stats and statistics. Um, And I had this tool that I knew already in the Enneagram that I thought offered a window to helping at least me do that better. So I wanted to try, like, what if I really worked instead of trying to communicate 
a corpus of information every time I spoke that I tried to help people think more clearly, to feel more fully, and to do what's most loving. And that's the filter that I put myself through. I like that. It's like we 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 don't realize it until we realize it, but we're all naturally like that. That's what conversation and communication is: is us trying to convince other people of our viewpoint and and uh, potentially try to get them to do something else. And and once you start to really pay attention to how you communicate and what you're saying and who you're saying it to, and and like you you start to see that oh the the way that I communicate the reason that other people hear it a certain way is because I am trying to get them to move to, to do something that I want. It's, it's all manipulation. And um, I think that I, we can use that for good or ill and, and becoming aware of it and starting to inject some intentionality. Yeah. Changing it into a, a, a means for relation and connectivity can all of a sudden it's not manipulation anymore. It's, it's just, connection the minute communication becomes relational the 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 sharp points of persuasion and manipulation go away yep right as soon as because like oh like the 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 most important thing here in this in this moment is how we relate to one another and so like even when i mean how does that change just like child raising for instance like Hmm. so yeah you're teaching your 15 your 16 year old how to drive right like you're scared for your life <laughs> right? as, they're behind, as they're behind the wheel um so you've got to you've got to communicate some information right and sometimes it, but what if like oh i want to make sure that i preserve this relationship that when we get done with this driving lesson like they know that they are love but i have what i want is for them to become a good, safe driver. Like, right. I actually do want something out of this. Right. Um, when I tell my wife I love her, what I want is for her to know that she is safe and secure in this relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, I, you know, it's one of the features of communication is that we're not talking for no reason. Right. <laughs> right. Um, but how do we make that reason? How do we help that reason, that communication become something that's wholesome and loving and genuine and authentic and knowing that people really receive communication differently is huge in that. So we're not like, um, as Jeff pointed out, like talking to ourselves and just missing one another. Um, and I think that happens a lot. I think there are lots of couples whose marriages have either dissolved or are very tense, lots of tension just because they don't know how to communicate with one another and it's become yep. a pattern or even habitual even. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's a great, as we're, as we're talking, there's a C.S. Lewis line in which he says, we cannot see face to face until we have faces. And the image of, of understanding not only your own face, understanding the person in front of you's face is essential to that kind of intimacy. How often do we actually even miss the fact that we don't see the person in front of us for who they actually are? What a gift. Uh, so what we're going to do is go around the circle with uh, how we can communicate with each of the types and understand how they receive our words. Uh, we'll start with with uh, with your stance, Sean. Yeah. With the three sevens and eights with aggressive types, how do y'all want to be communicated to? Well, what we need is someone to help us feel, and that's what we're going to be the most resistant to. 
right? And for lots, for several different reasons. Um, because what your stance describes is what you're repressed in. So your triad, your intelligence center, like is what it, you're dominant in. And so we're all repressed in our feeling center. So eights want to just do, do, do. Um, sevens are in the thinking or the head center and threes are in the feeling. So feel, threes are feeling dominant and feeling repressed. And the way that works is like in a given space, threes can feel everybody's feelings, um, but they can't, they're out of touch with their own and they don't use their own even when they know what they are to move forward in the world. And so what happens with aggressive types is that we run over people and don't know it. And we disregard not only our feelings, but other people's feelings. And so when you're speaking to us, if you're appealing to feelings a lot in your, in your communication, we've probably tuned you out. Um, so this happens a lot with um, communicators who I'll give you a story. Like there was a guy who is very well known. And I, every time I'm at a conference and he's speaking, I just leave <laughs> because I know before the end of, before he's done, he's going to cry. And I don't want to say that that's inauthentic. Like he just may be, but that for people who are feeling repressed, like rings was like, okay, like, what are we doing? Like, what, why are we having to do this? Um, so we're all repressed in the feeling center, but you know, threes support their feelings, you know, with thinking um, or doing sevens with doing and eights with thinking like that's how we support those centers. And so we're always kind of looking forward to the future. This is I'll give you an example. I was in a meeting yesterday with some folks. There are a lot of aggressive types in there. And what came out of that meeting was like, Okay, like, what are we going to ask people to do? I like this because at the end of it, we get to do something. We get to do something. And I go, okay, too many people in here are aggressive stance people. We want people to do stuff. And not everybody wants to do stuff all of the time. So like my friend Richard Beck says, why do, why do church leaders have such a hard time getting their um, con con congregations to do things like to enlist and all of the stuff that they're throwing out there because they're exhausted. Mm. And we're asking people to do stuff all of the time. Yeah. And that has to do with the way that we receive the world. So I'm in the car yesterday there. I get off the freeway to take my daughters to school. I know up above in front of me, there are two lanes that turn left, but it's all backed up. And I figure I can hop in the far right lane, drive up to the front, and somehow wedged my way oh, into sure. you're one of those. <laughs> <laughs> I can get in there. And as I'm literally doing this and I do this every day, I think, oh my gosh, this is an aggressive stance move <laughs> because aggressive stance people move through the world regardless of or move against things. Um, I can't help but move against things. It is the way. I maneuver in the world and life feels boring if there's not something to push against, mm. whether that's a goal or an accomplishment or an idea and other people, you know, if you're in a different stance, if you're, if you're dependent, if you are withdrawing, like that makes no sense to you. And a communicator who is constantly giving their people, we're going to do this next. We're going to do this next. We're going to do this next. There are other stances who are saying like, have we thought this through? Mm. 
like we didn't we didn't master the other thing. Um, I'm tired. I want to go do something else. What's the purpose of this? And you get into that meeting, right? And um, you get in that meeting and you're wondering why everyone's not buying into your plan. And it's because you're moving regardless of, and there are folks who want to move um, toward others. Like, so that's, that's the stance. So folks um, in the aggressive stance demand what they want from the world. And that's, as a communicator, something you need to know because not everyone's doing that. And not everyone is a work hard, play hard kind of type. Um, they don't look forward. They don't live with a future orientation to time. Um, when you go as an aggressive, no, no non-aggressive stance person has ever stood in front of a crowd and said, we're going to change the world. <laughs> <laughs> like when you hear someone say, we're going to change the world, we're going to reach the city. We're going to like, yeah, that's an aggressive type. Like I, he, um, they may, I'm, they may not know the Enneagram, but that's a three, seven or eight. Cause only those, no, only three sevens and eights would say that. And you said that uh, we need to help that like as communicators, we need to help three sevens and eights in get in touch with their feeling center. Mm-hmm. How, how like if, if yeah. crying isn't crying, isn't going to cut it. <laughs> well, crying all the time is not going to cut it. Uh, right. Sure. But yeah. Like they can be, because we all have the three centers of intelligence, but like, how do we, how do we talk about really tender emotional things? Um, well to that group is important like Mm -hmm. our like i'm focused right now on some folks who are doing some things in ukraine Mm. and the reason why is because um the feeling center like i can't talk about some of the work that i'm involved with with people who are incarcerated without crying ever right and and so i mean it's there it just has to be there attached to something in the world that we can do something that we can push against. Yeah. So if the message um, is just feel this, it won't work. If it's feel right. how important this is so that you can do something about it, that might be a right. Tactic. Or like when I hear people talk about like stories, right. And this is just me at my average to below average three. self, right. So I'll just admit that when someone actually changes a course of action, because of a story that they heard. Mm-hmm. Well, didn't you hear that story she told? I'm like, yeah, that's not enough, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> right, because um, it's threes like me who tell their children, who raise their children saying things like, feelings aren't facts. Yeah. Um, so that's what you're dealing with. Like if you just give that group of folks a bunch of feeling, then it's not gonna do anything. But if that feeling is connected to a real world problem, that they can solve, that they can push up against, then they become your army to get stuff done. Mm. Um, But they have to have something, they have to have some resistance. Um, Now I'll tell you, I hate traffic. I absolutely hate traffic. (laughs) I live a 30 minute drive from where I work, but it was super not that during the height of COVID and I'd still have to go down there every now and then. And I'd get down there so fast, no traffic. And it dawned on me one day as I was driving down there, like if it were like this all the time, I would hate it. (laughs) You get like, I hate traffic, but I hate because like there's no resistance in it. Yeah. You know? And like, I don't get to, I don't get to say like, that's a 45 minute drive today. 
I made it in 35. <laughs> you know? There's no way to no, win an easy no drive. No accomplishment. <laughs> <laughs> no fun playing pickup basketball with kindergartners. <laughs> right. Like, it's just like, okay, like that. So, yeah, I mean, I think that's what it means to be assertive, to be an aggressive type. It's like having that resistance. But if you can connect, if you can get them to connect feeling with something that they can push against, that becomes really huge and um, a great power. It seemed to me the key might be to elevating the feelings of aggressive types is to push into their heart's message. Mm. This ends up being a place, at least for my child, that ends up commonly being a place of um, connection. My eight child, mm -hmm. if I'm able to communicate that they won't be betrayed, that actually is something they feel. Or right. with my wife being able to communicate that she's valuable, I I get the sense that's something that she feels when said correctly and authentically. And 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 as you were kind of saying, it's like this is where you actually hit the world well. And I'm not just saying mm -hmm. this. And for sevens, I know this from my one of my good friends. When he hears from others that his needs will be taken care of by them, that matters to him emotionally. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know if you have any thoughts on that, but that's what hit me as you were talking. So my, so here's my new thought on the Enneagram. So you, you guys, I'm this is saying this out loud in for the first time. <laughs> is that the that our compulsive response is actually the thing that keeps us from getting what we want, mm -hmm. right? Mm. So. Um, so an, an eight who is so fears being betrayed um, never develops deep trust yeah, from, right. in and from others yeah. because they are so worried about being betrayed, right? A three who is just driven to be loved for their accomplishments and all like they will net, like that's the very thing that's keeping them from authenticity. Yeah. But when you, to access those feeling centers, like when you say to an eight, like, hey, you know what? Um, because I want to, because I will always protect you. I need X, Y, and Z. Like you, not all of them are going to turn into a puddle of tears when you say that, mm -hmm. but I've actually seen like the tension drain out of people and say, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm always going to protect you. So you can do, you know, um, for like my seven daughter, like we are, we are going to get you what you need. Like, cause she's very worried because her sister's gotten into every college that she applied to and all this other kind of stuff. She's like, I'm not going to get it, you know? And I was like, you know what? We're going to take care of you regardless of what you need. And just like the ease of the shoulders. Yeah. So those kinds of things help kind of get into that, but also when they are, when they are emotional to reinforce those messages and like to be with people in that, mm -hmm. um, and this is a great disservice that we do to one another is that we don't allow people to be in the middle of their feelings all that often. We try to rescue them from their feelings. And when you, um, when you are with a feeling repressed person, just the idea of allowing them to be there and letting them know like feelings aren't something you can control. They're only something you can allow. Mm -hmm. So your choice is not whether to have them or not have them. The choice is, whether you're going to allow them or not allow, allow them. Yeah. And they're not going away. They're just going underground. Yeah. And they will come back at some point. Yeah. The, um, I, I have one, I have a three friend that 
I, I've never, no one in my life has ever apologized harder for crying in my presence than my one mm-hmm. three, than one of my three friends. And like the, the work there is, Hey, it's this, this is a safe space for you to feel that. And I want you to feel it for as long as it takes. And, and the fact of you crying doesn't diminish you in my eyes at all. Right. A second thing I really wanted to hit before we go to the next stance is the dynamic between two aggressive types, which is, mm-hmm. uh, which you will know from having a seven daughter, and mm-hmm. I assume from where you, you work with other aggressive types, that creates obviously <laughs> a dynamic. If you're both moving against other people, or wait, what was your language? It was in spite of stepping on, regardless of, regardless. There it is. The that creates there is a space you want to connect with another person in communication, and yet if you're moving it regardless of, and both of you are moving regardless of, that will create yeah. a dynamic. So, yeah. what what is the clue to to, to, to great relationships between two aggressive types? Um, I don't know if is this if this is the answer, but it's a tactic which is to construct things in such a way that you basically can move regardless of in other areas. Mm. Like, like that's her thing. This is my thing. That's his thing. This is my, and like get out of each other's way. So I work really closely with, with an eight is he's high energy moves very assertively and aggressively and was like, okay, that's his thing to take care of. This is my thing to take care of. He knows not to come over into my thing and I know not to go over into his thing and it works fine. So a lot of it's just the areas that we are the most assertive and aggressive. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't think people who work with me in my day job actually, actually experience me as very aggressive or assertive at all. But like in my other speaking, writing, teaching, like I'm totally driving the train. Mm-hmm. So if you have your own lane, at least this has been my, my experience that it works a whole lot better. And if you don't have your own lane, you're really asking for collisions because we're all going to get in the right lane and drive as far to the front as we can and then get over, <laughs> right? Um, there, I have to double down on this question because that makes entirely, I can see the cleanness of that answer with people that I work with. But if you're a parent and you have a child <laughs> that you need to, to parent, that energy you 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 can't opt for not getting in their way at some points correct yeah so what we have done with our seven daughter is that we have been very clear with her about what we are choosing not to care about and the cleanliness of her room is one of those things just for a, an example that every parent has to deal with which is very difficult for my wife who is a one um like the cleanliness of your room, like we're not going to do that. But I am also an aggressive type. And so if we if we go to battle, if you enter into battle with an aggressive type, you got to be in it to win. <laughs> like yeah. 100%. Like, and you're like, I don't know what it's going to take to win this thing, but I've got it. Because if you don't win, you're going to lose a whole lot moving forward, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Um, so whatever, it's just like... And so, and so a lot of that really is, is, is what's, a, what's going to be a truce? Like, what's a, like, what can we agree on? And I know you're not like this, Jeff, but so many parents in relationship, like they have to 
they have to dominate over their kids Mm -hmm. instead of make agreements with their kids, Mm -hmm. right? And it's like, okay, this is going to be our deal. You can keep your room how you want to, but the bathroom, that's just nasty. And it causes another problem. Like you have to keep that clean. Um, We're going to support you in these ways for these things. And what the great thing about aggressive types is once you give them responsibility for something, they'll just own the responsibility and be like, okay, well, like I didn't, you didn't hold up your deal. So you don't get to go out with your friends or, you know, get your allowance or whatever it is. And generally speaking, they're cool with that because they typically made the choice to not hold up their deal. They're into the bargain and aren't okay with it. So yeah, I think you have to get creative with uh, other aggressive, with aggressive types. And here's the great, here's a great thing about, I talk a lot with people with aggressive types about doing something physical, doing something physical with aggressive types allows them to bring up their feelings. Just the act, just the, the, the sense of doing something physical seems to lower for whatever reason, um, the defense mechanisms. Mm. And, and, you know, we're all okay until we get defended, like until <laughs> like everything's fine until we get defensive and none of us realize how often we're being defensive, but if you do something else, like, Hey, we're going to play tennis. We're going to go for a walk. Um, uh, just to get moving seems for whatever reason to help. I mean, it, it's, it sounds like both sides need to figure out how to compromise and you might have to fight to get to that place of compromise, but you're going to have to give something up and the other side, is going to give something up too. Right. And that's okay. Cause in that way you stay in your yeah. lane. And it's really, it's, it's fundamentally relational, right? We're, what we're doing mm-hmm. is, is relational. Um, and as, as children get older, right? Like the dynamics have to change in how we relate to one another. Right. Um, Cause you, you just can't treat, a 17 year old like you treated them when they were three. Right. Yeah. Um, and if you do, you're going to have a three-year-old. Right. Then, <laughs> right. right. You're not raising children. You're raising adults, which is a huge thing that people miss. Like yep. if, the pro- <laughs> if at the end of this process, you have a child and not an adult, like you screwed up. Right. <laughs> like you're raising an adult. That's a problem. <laughs> so good. That is a, uh, I think a great microcosm of, of everything that we're talking about is if you don't understand the person in front of you and how they engage the world in these ways, then you can't have authentic communication. It is going to be a lot of shouting. It's going to be a lot of tug of wars. It's going to be a lot of moving against for two aggressive types. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, getting into their skin as it were and understanding where they're coming from so that you can respond, especially for parents. It seems to me, especially for parents. Um, to give to give aggressive types something to push against that's not you yes Mm, this has been this is a common if especially during (laughs) covid i don't know if this was your experience there's no there's no other enemies like you're it's we're in this house together and (laughs) i really (laughs) wish i could set something up uh, else up as a punching bag that wasn't me but apparently (laughs) (laughs) You can't because um, you yeah. have to go to a store and get a punching bag, and you're not allowed. <laughs> the stores are closed. <laughs> the in, in my experience, what are we choosing not to care about is fantastic advice, and that's been something that we it has taken a long time for us to learn as well. But that's kind of where we landed as well. Hmm. Moving to the reactive types, uh, one twos and sixes earn what they want in the world. Yeah, uh, are thinking repressed. Lots to say about these types. 
how do you communicate with with ones, twos, and sixes? Well, you know, so in in the book, I talk about ones, twos, and sixes um, moving toward, and like that's actually a great, I think, a pretty great way to think about them. In that, like I could tell people this all the time: when you go to speak to someone, um, a group of people, like most of the people in the room are cheering for you right? To do well. Like they're there, they're stuck there. They might as well do well. Um, But the thinking repression, so the thinking repression is about gathering and sorting information and analysis and making plans. So it's not just whether someone's smart or not, because these people are smart, but it's about gathering and sorting information, then analyzing that information, then making plans or like strategizing. Um, And lots of times, depending on the number, like they will get pieces of information or they will get a lot of information and just not know how to put it together. Hmm. And so having them step back to think about all of the pieces that are on the table and make a strategy that would be actually helpful instead of just, just doing there, just, just going out and doing something. So like my wife who is um, a one she has had, as I have over the last 20 years, major theological shifts, right? That we just don't, uh, we don't think the same way about the same things, but we got there really differently. Hmm. She, um, she had experiences that were very emotional for her, which changed her mind. Hmm. And then she spent time studying it, right? Yeah. <laughs> like getting on, getting, the the background knowledge but her mind was already changed yeah her mind was now changed she just wanted she had to figure out why yes yeah um and i would never do that right <laughs> uh, because for, for her like the gathering information and it's not that they don't do it and this is important in stance work i think it's really about it's not about things that you don't do as much as it's about what costs you the most energy hmm. like so the places where we're repressed like i can do that it just costs me a lot of energy to do that. Yeah. Um, and so it has to be worth it for whatever reason. So the way you communicate with those, with people who are reactive, compliant, dependent, we went over, we went round and round in the book about language for this stance. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, the way you do that is like, you give them time and data to help bolster what they want to do what they've already arrived at doing, but you have to understand they've already arrived at doing it. Um, So if you start out with, you know, a bunch of statistics, you know, there are this many homeless people living in the city where you live, like the, there are certain types that will really eat that up. This, this group won't, Um, they will, they will be ready to do something before they know why they want to do it Hmm. Um, because they are moving toward problems, a, a more, perfect world, more idealized. And so I mean, part of the deal with them is to say, all right, um, before you go off and do something, let's come up with a strategy because we're not going to just jump out the plane and figure out how to build a parachute on the way down. Yeah. Um, and I think that's really important in helping folks develop because we have a lot of things. So I would, okay, I'll put it this way. We've heard a lot in the last couple of years about large churches where um, there was a lot of abuse, spiritual, emotional abuse, a lot of trauma calls. And I would say that there are probably too many people in the upper echelons of those organizations 
that were in the compliant dependent reactive stance mm. um, because they didn't do their their homework on what was going on and they were constantly in this idea of moving toward people um, trying to move toward people um, gaining energy off other folks you know that's part of being in that stance like you borrow energy from the people around you um because you're looking for a place to fit in so you get ones and they want to fix things all the time twos they want to fill in the gaps of where things are missing sixes um they question the structures in order to find their place mm-hmm. um so it's all though it's all outer dependence. So I'll give you an example of this from my own life, because my wife is a one. I was about to fly out of state to go speak someplace or do something. This was a time where she was getting up early in the morning, every morning, and she was doing yoga, right? So I get up, I'm getting ready. My luggage is all packed. Um, She's in the living room, right? She doesn't do her yoga that morning. And she's upset because she missed it because she was quote, helping me get out the door, right? (laughs) This happened when our girls were young and she was staying home. I heard her explaining to someone like what her day was like. She says, well, we wake up and I feed the girls and then I help Sean get out the door. And I'm thinking, (laughs) you have done nothing to help me get out the door. Like you didn't fix my breakfast. You didn't like put my, but like, that's the way she's conceiving of the world. It's like, this is something we are doing together. Mm -hmm. Um, And, uh, like that is much more the reactive type insofar as receiving the energy and the motion of the people around them, yeah. um, responding to the motion of the people around them. Um, and so one of the ways that you can help is saying, especially like, let's say you work with someone who is reactive, compliant, dependent stance. You can say, okay, we're going to work on this project and this is yours from start to finish. I don't, I don't care what you do. These are our goals. This is what we need to happen at the end. But you don't have to come to me and ask my impressions or my thoughts. This is yours from start to finish. Mm -hmm. Because it forces them into a place where they have to strategize over big things. And once you do it once, you build a competency for it. And you build um, a level of confidence in doing it. Does that work with twos and sixes? I can see that working with ones. I actually don't. That makes a lot of sense to me, but does that work with twos and sixes? It does. And that like, so sixes, I mean, one of the things that sixes really need is because yeah. they've displaced so much of their trust and like authority figures and stri- is like that trust visited back to them. Yeah, mm-hmm. sure. Yep. sure, sure. They're like, I trust you to do this. You're going to ask all the right questions. Um, now that may also mean with sixes, when you do this at the very beginning, so I'm going to give you this project, right? And you're going to run with it. It may mean that, a meeting that for me, I think should have been five minutes might be an hour and a half. Yep. Right. Right. Cause like I got to, all, to ask work all the questions about what's going to go wrong and, and get ready yeah. for all of the things. Yeah. And the same is true for twos. It's like, like this is, this is your baby help as many people as you can help. And you get to structure it like as you want to structure it, mm-hmm. then they're in a place where they have to strategize. They have to gather and sort all the information and what's important, what's not important. And that helps them bring up that, that repressed center because they have to do it 
because they've been entrusted with it. And, and, and that's what they really want, right? Like if a two thinks I'm really helping, I'm really helping TJ, I'm really helping Jeff with this by not bothering them with every detail. Yeah. <laughs> um, like they respond to that. We have on our staff where I work, we have several twos. Um, and when they are kind of unleashed on a project with clear deliverables and lots of freedom, they do a fabulous job. Now, at the end of it, they want to get together every person that was involved in it to have a little like round table discussion, talk, conversation, <laughs> but, you know, but still like they did a fabulous job. Right. And that's, that's kind of how you help dependent types um, deal with, you know, their anxiety around those kinds of things. Well, and uh, much like we talked about with, uh, with aggressive types, three, sevens and eights, you, you need to to work on ways to get them to engage their feeling and attach that to the things that they want to do, like, like give them an action step, but connect it to that feeling center. Mm-hmm. But yeah, much like aggressive types, the, the work that this kind of thing does is sort of propels them, forces them to, engage that thinking space where we're so like it, it's so often that that they sort of like ones twos and sixes not delegate but sort of give up that thinking space in a way like especially in professional settings and relationships is like let let someone else do the thinking for me and when you give them res- responsibility in that way to say like this is your project this is something mm-hmm. i don't i don't if you need input, I'll help you, but I, I, I want you to take this and run with it and, and do, do it your way. Do it. It, it forces them to engage that thinking space to, to work on that, that like Mm -hmm. planning and strategizing and, and, and categorizing the information that, that they aren't naturally good at. It's it's like, like, this is yours. I don't care how you do it, get it done. And like, there's, there's an intentional, engagement with that thinking space much like there is what with what we talked about with the aggressive types and but i mean jeff you're in this you're in this stance so how does that show up for you a couple of things that you said resonated with me the it's the ready fire aim element of this stance i i think can't be undersold that we are taking (laughs) in the world through our intelligence center strongly so i trust my intuitions and then I'll mm-hmm. think about things later. Uh, I'm sure for twos, they trust their heart, and they'll think about it later. Uh, how would you picture this for sixes? There is it the they're filtering it through the future anxieties, perhaps, and then I'll think about it later. How would that work? Oh, they're thinking about it, but they don't trust their thoughts. Oh, there you go. Um, well, and they they don't trust their thoughts until their thoughts are mirrored back to them, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So it's the it's that move toward for security's sake. So it's kind of like the the kind of standard teaching on sixes, like when a six is asking you questions like that are like personal to them about decision that they have to make. They've already made the decision. They just need They're someone just, to say it's okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I love the idea of borrowed energy and the relational dynamic of this triad. It's it's almost like a finding our place in the world. Uh, the mirroring back. It's it's a compass. It's it's a map. It's am I am I okay? I, I in part need others to, to, at least for me, I need to feel their energy, their responses in order to get my bearings 
I've for for me as one, I've thrown something out in the world, and now I'm waiting, kind of like a you know like a ping, like a what would you call that, like sonar. I'm waiting to for something to hit me back yeah, in my intuitions. Back. And so if some if somebody doesn't respond, or if even if somebody doesn't respond, I suppose I feel that you're not responding, and so I'm feeling that. Or if this is why I love I love being married to an aggressive type because it's always there. The energy is always there. And then I can, mm. I can, I can react to it. Um, I imagine the other two types are like yeah. that. And so Jeff is funny to me because I have no doubt that you're a one on the Enneagram. Like we've had a, a thousand conversations that's been made clear, Yeah, but you're like, you're probably the most proactive, aggressive <laughs> one that I have ever known. I'll like, I'll tell you what. Like I've, I've, I just find that. Yeah, please do. Well, one, it's my subtype, and two, it's be, it's I, I end up really trying to balance a lot with my security and my stress. So I'll push into seven quite a bit, and because I enjoy you and I feel comfortable with you, you probably get a lot of seven energy from me. Mm-hmm. Um, and oftentimes, when you and I talk. I'm resistant to this other thing I don't want to do. <laughs> and so you are a place of freedom and new adventures. And Mitch, Sean, my pal who's in a different state who has no demands on me at all is calling. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. I give so all right. That makes sense. That that's clear. I I would also I, suggest there's a, there's a fair amount of um not vocation, but but the the spaces in which you have, what's the right way to say it? I know this? I've always seen you at good times, right? It's like we're at a conference together and we're going to go happy hour and we're, you know, sitting at a great restaurant in Colorado where it's beautiful weather. And like those, the times that the three of us interact face to face are pleasant, yeah, at least yeah. to me. Like, you know, here's a guy who's buying our dinner tonight that you guys have never met and he's sitting over a different table, but he knows me. You know, what's interesting on this front with the one, three dynamic, this total side note, we'll, we'll talk about this at some point on our podcast, mm-hmm. but I move to aggressive when I'm in security. My wife, the three moves to, to reactive. And what ends up happening is she gets very present. And I don't know if you have this experience when you're secure, all of a sudden things slow down. You can be present. You can focus on the now. That's not where I go. It's all future yeah. when, when I'm, uh, I'm, well, that's know, harmonics, right? So like, so like, I think maybe like there's a part where you and I are both in the competency, you know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. harmonics, right? So like when you say, Hey, I've got this idea, like we're both kind of like, Oh, we're solving a problem. Yep. Mm-hmm. Truth. And so Truth. like, we're just kind of, as my daughter would say, vibing. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think there's also a, 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 a lot that, that should be noted about the fact that so much of your life, Jeff, is spent in spaces where you are in charge of setting the agenda. Yeah. Mm. And, and like, like driving the boat, like, like between you and me, things wouldn't happen if you matched my energy. If you didn't take charge in, in our space, our, our podcast wouldn't exist. Right. And, and there's, there's a lot of spaces in your life where, that that sort of like drive the car aggression kind of energy is is required of you because of your position and i think it 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 comes out there but if you if you're really paying attention there's it's it's you like what watching you work in in other spheres for so many years like it, it's really interesting to watch the here's my plan 
if anyone tells me that I should do something different, I will. But if nobody says anything about this, then this is the plan we're making. And I think there, there's a lot of like that, that thinking repression is, is present there, but it's not noticeable unless you're looking for it. Yeah. That may be why a lot of ones come across as what would that be like the, if they are in that position and then they're coming with the plan, the plan has been thought through way too much and they can become inflexible. Mm, sure. Yeah. Because it, no other way to navigate on that front. Yeah. It's also the case of just to respond or to come back to the idea of uh, responsibility. I think, I think it is the case that ones, twos and sixes, am I wrong here? Often are unlikely to be leaders. They often are the complementary personalities, the dependent personalities, Mm -hmm. to to use the word there. Um, It's, it's so fascinating because I could never, I could never in my, in my mind, I could never be someone's assistant Mm -hmm. or second. Mm -hmm. Like just the idea that like, um, like this is the person that helps me get the thing done in my life. Mm-hmm. Like, and there are some people who feel so super comfortable in that mm-hmm. and like, yeah. that's what they want. Um, and I was like, Oh, like that, just the idea that that was my, my space to hold in the universe would drive me crazy. <laughs> Even if I love the work, like, like I'm not here to hold anybody's coat, right. you know? Right. So like the dependent stance, um, like TJ, you said in one podcast, uh, I can't remember what you guys were talking about, but you said like, threes are probably just wondering like, why are you following me around the house? <laughs> and like, what, what made me laugh about that was like, I have literally said that to Rochelle before. Like, why are you following? You're like, what, what are you doing? <laughs> anyway, let's get back to the, what were we talking about? Yeah. The, I suppose to, to wrap it up, some of the things given the fact that the ones, twos, and sixes in our lives are really looking for something because they are coming with that moving toward energy. They're responding with warmth, with grace, um, with appreciation for the energy that's being poured out toward us can always be a fantastic step, it seems to me. Yeah. yeah. Um, I've, I've said this in the past, but just to, again, pair up two reactive types, it seems to me commonly will have trouble if they don't if they aren't working on something together right because they will both be reacting to the other one and so in my daughter my oldest daughter who's a four yeah there's a couple that we know that's getting married and um i think he's a six and she's a two and she just said off hand one night we were sitting around the living room she goes how are they ever going to make any decisions (laughs) (laughs) Is always gonna float. What do you think about this? What do you think about the way you think about the way you think? That's a uh, yeah. And like so, like, but understanding, right? Like when a six moves toward people, they are moving for security, mm-hmm. right? That's mm-hmm. the, the motivation is security. But when um, a two moves towards someone, they are moving toward them for attention. And so, if we can kind of know, like, okay, what does it look like? What does it feel like to have someone move towards you? And especially in this, in this person, um, the, the nearness. So I think like a two and a six together, for instance, like they would have really great um, intimate encounters because they're always trying to move toward each other Mm -hmm. to gain something. Yeah. Um, But at the same time, like, oh my goodness. um, When one of them is just for like, just out of their normal space, 
and isn't moving toward or is in a stress position, like that could be really harmful. Like that's when things get said that are hard to get unsaid, right? You know, so again, that's why we come back to this idea of stances, like knowing what people's compulsive move is and their typical move. And we're making these typical moves all the time, all day, every day, right? We just, that's, that's the way we're doing it. Um, uh, is really helpful for navigating a relationship and gives you a language. So um, like a two, for instance, who is a, who's a speaker, who's a communicator, like they're going to want to do things for the whole world all of the time to be helpful and, and to gain attention. Um, but that kind of attention gaining doesn't create security, which is what a six is after. Right. Um and like a one is after a certain level of autonomy in their move. Um, so we're always kind of juggling, like we're moving toward this stance is like moving toward each other, but moving for really different reasons. And the better you know someone and the more questions you ask, uh, the closer you get to creating the kind of relational connection that can then actually move an organization forward. Like we have a, I work with a two and, um, whenever it's time to share stories, it's almost always stories of how they have been personally helpful to someone in the community. Mm. Um, and here's what, here's what they're saying. I moved toward and I got attention. Yeah. And now I'm sharing how I got attention by moving toward. <laughs> <laughs> so like when that person gets to speak, like I know exactly what I'm about to hear. Um, so I'll, I know how to like, Oh, like, Tell us then, like, let's say we're in a meeting and that's their instinct to do. Okay, what does it look like to follow up? What does it look like to enhance this interaction, like across the board? How do we um, scale that so that one interaction becomes an interaction that more people get to experience, the type of thing that more people get to experience? And that forces them into strategizing and gathering and sorting information. Yeah. Which they're, the twos are not naturally thinking about how to scale. Like that, that's, just, that's just not how they, they, they're interested in relationships, not in mm-hmm. reaching the most people possible. Right. Yeah. Bang, let's talk about the fours, fives, and nines. These are the withdrawn types. Um, again, when communicating to those in this stance, there's going to be energy. There's going to be a dynamic. Uh, what goes through your mind, Sean, when, when thinking about talking to withdrawn types? Yeah, so this was the hardest chapter in the book to write, mm-hmm. and then I spent the most time with it because I, this is personally like the hardest for me personally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, because I'm a kind of in or out <laughs> kind of person, like do it or don't do it. Like the idea of withdrawing, like I don't withdraw, I'm either interested or not yeah. interested. Um, and when I withdraw, I truly want to be left alone. Like, so I'm not a four who is like withdrawing to gain attention. Mm-hmm. Um, so like I said before, my oldest daughter is a four and she will come home and like be dramatic every now and then and like go to her room. And I have asked her, I was like, is this one of those times where you need to be alone and withdraw? Or is this one of those times where you are acting like you want to be alone? So we will come get you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And she she looked at me genuinely and said, I don't know. (laughs) 
<laughs> which, which I love because like the honesty of like both of those could be an option, uh-huh. right? Um, and like a real world option. Um, so fives move away to gain security. So it's like I'm gonna I'm gonna take all of the things that I know and have learned, and I'm gonna withdraw because I feel comfortable in that. Like I just posted on uh, Twitter and Facebook earlier today that it's time to admit that all the new Stoics and minimalists are just fives who want to make their personality seem cool. <laughs> I love that. I'm stealing I, that. <laughs> it sounds like uh, every conversation I have dropping my kid off at school. Mm. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> it's like, sure, whatever. You don't need anything. All right, fine. Um, well, I was in, in the nines, uh, move away. I'd like to hear you talk about this, TJ, to find um, autonomy. But all of that is about if you want to if you want to help a nine, you have to root deeply into a purpose that they care about. And this is actually why I think this was the hardest of the chapters to write, because everybody cares about different things right? and cares deeply about different things. Right. And so purpose matters to fours, fives and nines at a deeper level, I think, at a deeper level than it does to the rest of us, hmm. um, because, you know, the aggressive types will push against anything. Um, the re- the reactive types are fundamentally making a relational move about the people who are around them. But purpose can be like anything. Like so, you can have a nine who finds a great purpose in their business, and they show up and look like a three mm, or look sure. like a one. Yeah, um, you can find a, a four who finds great purpose in the music that they create or in the poetry they they create, and they can look like a they can look like a one, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Um, especially because they, they're both idealists, right? And so if a purpose isn't um, meaningful to folks in the withdrawing stance, I don't, I have yet to find anything that can persuade them toward a group goal. Yeah, um, They'll do so reluctantly sometimes if they're getting paid to do it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like this is just what we have to do. Hey, paying rent is a is a purpose. Yeah, it's a it's a <laughs> it's not a good purpose, but it's a purpose. <laughs> but I and so everyone thinks so this and this is um so this is a place where communicators who are fours, fives and nines um kind of get lost mm-hmm. is that they are so rooted in purpose. Um, they actually forget how people work. Yeah. Like our motivations oftentimes are like very shallow. Like, <laughs> like um, I've, I got, I just have to do this. Like I got to make it through school. So I can't do that. Or they can make the purpose so big that it seems unattainable right. for the average person. Right. It's like, Oh, we'll never be able to, to, to accomplish this. Yeah. Um, and so like right sizing purpose as a communicator, because you are all in as a withdrawing type um, for things that are deeply meaningful, mm-hmm. but that can actually be too big for some people. And it, interestingly, it'll be aggressive types and like sixes who are the ones who will tell you, right? right. And you will think, well, you're, this person's like, you're really great at accomplishing things. Like you have a lot of energy. You can help us reach that purpose. And they're the folks going over like, no, we can't do all that. Right. Like that's, to, or the purpose oftentimes with the withdrawing types is too nebulous. Mm-hmm. It's too ethereal yes. that folks can't get behind it. Yeah, uh, It's like, okay, so what is that again? Like kind of pinpoint that. Um, that's why fours, fives, and nines in my experience have trouble setting goals yep. um, is because 
they have a harder time like pinpointing exactly what it is this particular goal is because sometimes the purpose doesn't seem big enough mm. but also because they are doing repressed and doing repressed has to do with accomplishing things but also pleasure seeking yeah um they can kind of wallow in the opposites of pleasure the dark places the um i can't i mean i would not want a four or five in particular. Um, sometimes I, I would, but fours and five, like I can't imagine them planning a vacation I'd want to go on. <laughs> um, um, because they live so much in the, they live so much in the uh, darker, uh, more um, nebulous, harder, more the greedier places of life. That's mm -hmm. like, oh, I'm not, I'm not sure I want to do that. So like when, I, you know, my daughter, who's a four, we go on vacation, like she will, she will want to spend all the days at museums, which we all love. Right. Right. Um, but she definitely but wants like, to go to the Holocaust museum and the Vietnam exactly. Memorial. And yeah, like the, the places that, that the, they're, they're literally designed to make you a little bit sad. Right. Yeah. So when we did her senior pictures, she wanted to do senior pictures at Rothko chapel. Okay. I don't know if you know who Rothko was as a painter. You can look mm -hmm. up online, but basically they are these enormous squares of blue and black paint yep. that I promise you I could do like bring me a canvas. <laughs> I can paint it black and we hang it on the wall. My art teacher <laughs> wife is she's spinning upstairs. She has no idea what we're talking about, but she knows, she knows something wrong is being said right now. <laughs> <laughs> But also, I like, agree like, you don't tell her. <laughs> but like, this is what she, like this is what she this is where you want to go and do your senior pictures at this at this at Rothko Chapel. This guy who painted these huge canvases that are just black. They are just black. Yeah. You go in. You can't speak inside. It's total silence. You can't take electronic devices. That's the first thing that comes to her mind <laughs> with senior pictures after we spend weeks convincing her at all to have senior pictures. <laughs> yeah. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Deep, deep meaning behind that. Yeah. 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 I love that. So how do you I, get her to like, it's hard to get her. It's hard to get her to do it. It's, it's nearly impossible to get her to do anything mm -hmm. that she doesn't want to do. Yeah. Um, because she can actually out argue you as it turns of why it's not important <laughs> in the universe. Um, so like if she were to plan a vacation, like when we were in Colorado last year, it took us 30 minutes to convince her to ride a bike with the rest of us. <laughs> like, good Lord. <laughs> okay. So, so here's, here's the, I, I think the first and most important thing that, that I want to talk about with regards to the withdrawn stance is that the, the, so, we talked about the aggressive stance and how they are feeling repressed. The feeling or the heart center of intelligence, like the, like this is a thing, this is where emotions and relationships live. You, you hear that and you understand what feeling center is. One, twos, and sixes are thinking repressed. This is the thinking data, um, this is the, the intelligence center that has to do with understanding and processing information. The fours, fives, and nines are doing repressed or 
or intuition repressed like this this third intelligence center the gut the intuition the the doing center has so much to do with an ineffable sense of what is real it, it's it's feeling the energy around you in a way that you can't you can't categorize you can't quantify it's it's not just doing it's also a a felt sense of what you're doing and why it's important mm-hmm. and and mm-hmm. connect, like the connection the word the, using the word purpose i think is so good and valuable here that like it the reason that you have to connect purpose to doing for these types has so much to do with that that un intangible indescribable connection of motivation of of like mm. this has a purpose that's why you do it like i i talked at the very beginning i talked about making the bed there is no understandable reason to me to make the bed until you tell me that my wife likes it because my wife likes things to look nice Mm-hmm. It's not for other people. It's not because she wants to get into a bed where the sheets are are laid out. Like it, it's there. There's to me, there is no understandable reason to make the bed because I don't care how it looks. I don't care if other people see it. Whatever. But for her, she wants things to look nice and pretty, and I can connect to that. Right. And, right, and so like right. connecting, not just it's, it's not just action, but it's connecting action to a reason behind it. And it's usually an intangible reason. It's something that, that you can't really, you can't really explain why, because it's an intuitional feeling. Mm. Well, I think that's really well said. Um, yeah. I don't have very much to add to that. Like I said, like, I think though for me, the withdrawn stance is the hardest to communicate to Hmm. um, because of exactly what you said. Um, And that becomes super individual. Yeah. Um, And, and so like, you can't do, they are the least cookie cutter of all the stances in terms of withdrawing. And how do I get people whose instinct, I mean, how do you get people's instinct? It is to withdraw to do anything yeah. or to see anything or to think of, because all of those like aggressive people, they're moving against something. Yeah. Um, reactive people are moving towards something. Everyone else, all the, uh, all the other six numbers are moving in one direction, right. even for different reasons, different ways. Right. And then this, this stance is moving in the opposite direction. Yeah. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, but I can tell you this, like, so I know a lot of fives who are communicators mm-hmm. and one of the ways that they move away from audiences is by throwing out so much knowledge yep. that no one can get close. Yep. Right. Nines as communicators um, are so disinterested that no one wants to get close as communicators, not as humans, like not as in their daily life, but like, Oh, you know, it could be, I have heard so many messages from everyone giving both sides of an argument yep. that we net. So we never really land any place yeah. or, or um, we get lost in, in uh, like uh, they describe our uh, nines communication style as meandering. Mm-hmm. And whenever Jeff and I are speaking to a room together, he, it at least three times <laughs> in the course of however <laughs> long it takes, he will have to be like, Nope, 
that's come back, come back to the to yeah. the point. Right. Yeah. Because for for nines, it's like you don't don't forget this little piece that might be really mm-hmm. important to someone. Yep. yep. Right. Yeah. And like there are a thousand little pieces. Try to be all things um, all people. Doesn't work. <laughs> yeah. And then you know fours are. Um, this is going to sound more ungenerous than I mean it, but it's like fours have a wall that's built around them that when they send out thoughts, feelings to the world, like it hits that wall and bounces back on them. And then they have to think about it and feel it all over again. Mm. And it's just like, boom, boom, boom. And so as communicators, like they just kind of swirl in their own, um, in their own thoughts, feelings. And that's, so they with they withdraw like oh let me withdraw to kind of figure all that out right and then come back but so often the, the rest of the world just moves on without them yeah and then they feel left behind isolated that's what contributes to that like that feeling of i want to be unique but i'm not unique enough mm-hmm. um and it's not like well it's not it's not that no one can understand you like we just had to keep moving yeah. while you were figuring all out. Yeah. And people who really love them will come back and say, hey, come join us. Mm-hmm. Like bring your gifts. What have you figured out? Like um, what feels confused and complicated to you? Yeah. Um, create space for all, for all that you have to bring because we know that you're in this stance that's moving the opposite direction right. of the others. And added onto that, because you're a four, you are dealing with your thoughts and emotions in a way that really the rest of us aren't. That, you know, I've got a good friend who's a four, and she says she is incapable of feeling one emotion at a time. Mm, Yeah. Which to me just sounds awful. (laughs) (laughs) Like, like why would you want to live this way? (laughs) It's just the water that she swims in. That's (laughs) Yeah. And I'm like, feeling any emotion at any time is the hindrance to getting on with the rest of your life. But yeah, I mean, uh, so I feel like it's the, that's the most complicated um, for lots of different reasons. So, you know, nines um, really do need to be challenged to bring a strong perspective to their communications, which means choosing. Yeah. Right. Like choosing, I'm going to talk about this mm-hmm. and that's it. Um, like when on stage, to know like you're you're not mitigating between two sides right like you're offering a perspective and that's okay you have a right to have a perspective yep. in that moment um like for fours um i would say like to not forecast all of your emotional depth in communication like um some of us can go there with you most of us can't and we definitely can't stay there yep. for very long like in fives um need to be careful about bringing up insight that lacks significance. Like just the, like a buffet of information is unhelpful, Mm -hmm. even though they find purpose in all of that information. So for all, for fours, fives, and nines as communicators, there's a lot of choosing what to share and what not to share and being very deliberate. That's why I say toward the end of the book, one of the best practices you can have is to manuscript your messages like early on, because it lets you choose. Yep. Handful of things that I hear on, on this one is that where two aggressive types can have issues and two uh, reactive types can have issues Withdrawn types. I think actually kind of mellow out together 
pretty cleanly <laughs> for the most part. Yep. But <laughs> the dynamic between aggressive and withdrawn types I always find fascinating. It's a tug of war. It's a immovable object and a, what's the other one? An irresistible force. Unstoppable. Irresistible force, yeah. And that dynamic of the yin-yang uh, going on there is always interesting to me when the, and you just have to know that's the energy that's going to take place in this relationship and being able to, right. to understand that the, that's what's going on before you even communicate anything really important. Yeah. And a lot of things can be navigated if you know. Yeah, exactly. The, the second thing that struck me as you were talking was real similar to the uh, aggressive types. The heart's message really matters for withdrawn types. And all of it is kind of about pulling them forward. Your presence mm -hmm. matters for nines. You are seen mm -hmm. for fours. Uh, your needs will be taken care of for fives. And it's almost like I'm going toward them with something that, that invites more. And the, I, the, the purpose is perhaps wrapped up in that as well. Um, I always like withdrawn types myself because as a reactive type, it just invites space and I can, you know, I have, I have space to move into that, that arena and most of my colors, my best self, mm -hmm. um, if, if, if uh, there's a healthy person in front of me, um, can shine. And so the, the reactive types, I suppose, can often have a, a different kind of experience with withdrawn types. <laughs> um, but that was my take on, yeah. on what you got. You, yeah. you got thoughts on that? No, I think that's, that's well said. I'd love to, if, if TJ had, I love hearing people talk about their types when they come up, they, they know more about their type than I do. Well, I'm, I'm trying to think about like, so w with aggressive types, like when you're communicating with aggressive types, you need to figure out how to attach feeling and, and encourage attachment of feeling to the doing. Because they're they're naturally doing stuff anyway, and 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 drawing out that feeling and, and connecting it to the things that they want to do already, um, that that gives you give you movement and and helps like force the embracing of the repressed center and like building up that that feeling space with uh, with the earners with the uh, reactive types. You you have to attach thinking. You have to shore that up. You have to have to work on getting them to 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 develop and and sustain their ability to think well and and thinking about purpose and and how to get like it, it's easy to teach to to speak to a crowd and and four fives and nines are like yeah that was a good talk and and move on with their lives but but <laughs> the the. The thing that we need, the thing that inspires me most is, is connecting something to do with something that I already feel. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Like it, it's like there it it does me no good to connect feelings to the things that I'm planning on doing because I'm I'm I don't I don't need motivation for the things that I'm already planning on doing. But if if I need to be moved in a direction, then I need to know why. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I love that that you bring up purpose like that. I feel like that is going to be something that I'm going to meditate on for months now, connecting purpose to everything else about my life because I, I I need to know. I need to be driven. I need to be pushed with uh uh with meaning, with purpose, with mm -hmm. with motivation that gets me out the door because. Uh, Back to making the bed again. I I don't make yeah. my bed 
because I don't care, but my wife wants it to happen. Therefore I'm going to try. Yeah. Yeah. And it's got to be compelling purpose. I think that's, um, you know, um, every, lots of things have a purpose, Mm -hmm. but without meaning something that's compelling. Yep. Like it was just like, that. that's a big, big, so what? Yep. Right. Yep. Yeah, totally. Last thing I want to hit before we sign off is to focus back on us as speaking to others, as us as communicators and the relationships that we're in. Uh, each of the types has giftings, things that they emphasize in their type. Um, mm. Well worth naming because these can often in our communications be overemphasized. And you had a great paragraph about this. Um in terms of what we bring, you said as presenters, Enneagram ones will tend to wrap their teachings around what's wrong with the world. Twos about how to be helpful. Threes around goals and accomplishments. Fours around deeper and darker emotive ex- expressions. Fives are around data. Sixes around myriad paths to security. Sevens around optimism. Eights around action. And nines around peacemaking and peacekeeping. And you conclude here, each of these instances are good and necessary in their own time, but a steady diet of an overemphasis place on how the speaker sees the world is limited and disenfranchises a great deal of our hearers. One of the things I I notice in my own communication, I'll be aware that, oh, I'm trying to improve this person again. And all my language is about here's the problem and here how it can get better. Mm -hmm. And that's often how I connect to the world. And sometimes that can be worthwhile. And sometimes that's not where the person in front of me is at. Mm -hmm. Do you have wisdom in terms of that balance of here's a great good you bring and yet you got to be really mindful of it? Yeah. So one of the things I do late in the book, I think the last chapter is talk about like the warnings for each type. And like, this is what you're going to likely do. And part of me just wants to say, like, just don't do that. Right. (laughs) But I'm a three and that would be a goal and accomplishment. Like I can just, I, you know, um, I can just say, don't do that. But like, so when you're going to communicate to someone, man, you've only got a class period. You've only got one meeting with the board. You've only got one pitch. You've only, so man, that's really hard to do all that. But just start by writing at the top of your page, thinking, feeling, doing. Mm. And I want to make sure that I spend time helping people think. So gathering, sorting information, strategizing. Like This is our strategy. Um, I want to help people feel like, what can I say and do that touches an emotional nerve that broadly speaking, most people can connect with. So that goes back to motivators. It goes back to stressors. Um, you know, if you, when you speak to people's pain, you speak to everyone. So that as a, that as a guide, and then like, what do I actually want people to do? And how do I harness people who are ready to bolt out the door and accomplish this thing? Like the minute that they hear it. And I want to offer an invitation in every one of those acts. I want to invite you to think clearly about this, to um, feel deeply about this, to act in the world in just and good and whole ways. So instead of thinking through, because you just don't have the time, and there are so many people, and you don't have a time to say like, I'm going to spend five minutes talking to ones and five minutes talking to twos and and just go around the circle, right? But I am going to make sure that I'm rooting myself in the intelligence centers, thinking, feeling, and doing. 
because that's going to help people who internalize, who receive the world in their dominant center to get what they need, but I'm going to support what they, uh, where they struggle, what's repressed by including that too. And over time, if you get a chance to visit with the same people, whether it's like your board or in your classroom, over time, you help folks bring balance to their personality. And then as if you know people say, okay, like, I know you're thinking repressed, like, let, let me help you think through this. Um, um, how do we, how do we bring up feeling for you? How do we bring up doing for you and connect you to purpose? But that's when you have the luxury of time. When you right. don't have the luxury of time, you have to say, I've got to figure out a way to get people to connect with all three intelligent centers in this 15, 20, 30, 40 minutes that I have. Because when I do that, I am going to motivate everyone to live out of their best self and their most whole self. Excellent. Excellent. It's a book. The book is Speaking by the Numbers by the great Sean Palmer. Um, I imagine if you have somebody in your life who is a professional speaker or just needs to learn how to communicate with you better. This is a great episode to share. We always like shares. So share with somebody who you love communicating with. And Sean, do you like stars? Like stars like the television show or stars like astronomy? Like gold stars. Like gold stars and trophies. Like I, ratings. I'll, I'll put it this way. I, I, when I was a kid, there was a trophy for, at VBS for the kid who brought the most friends to VBS that week. <laughs> <laughs> and you bet I won that trophy. I'm gonna, I'm gonna win <laughs> that trophy, the Fishers of Men Award, and I, I think my I know where it is at my mom's house. That's so so yes, <laughs> that's like 1982. <laughs> that's great. Uh, well, hey, give us some stars on iTunes or on Spotify because we like stars as well, and they help other people find the show. Um, if you want to communicate about the Enneagram with us, we've started online gatherings. You can find those at aroundthecircle.org. And uh, that's what I got. You got anything else, DJ? I, I really enjoyed this book, and I, I hope that other people can... like. I, I think that it has great value beyond professional communicators. I, I really hope that other people see that too. Agreed. Agreed, Sean. It's always a pleasure having you on, my man. Thanks for having me. Enjoyed it. Much love to your family. And I'm excited to see all the things that you're doing in the future here. Uh, where can they find you? They can find me at uh, SeanIsaacPalmer.com or SpeakingByTheNumbers.com or SeanPalmerCoaching.com, which, which all go to the same place. <laughs> <laughs> hey, it works. <laughs> He's Sean Palmer. He's a fantastic communicator to communicators. He's TJ Wilson. He's officially awesome. I'm Jeff Cook. Who you aren't isn't interesting. Go sign up for one of our online things. 